If you'd open your Bibles to Revelation 14, please, Revelation chapter 14. Now let's set the stage before we read the context of all of this. Satan and his demons lost a war with Michael and his angels. They're confined to this earth. It's in the middle of the tribulation. When he's confined to this earth, he calls out two guys. One's the Antichrist, the other's the false prophet, to be two men to handle his bidding. Remember, they're all confined to this earth, so they have no more access to heaven. I don't know what the access is tonight, but they do have some sort of access to heaven. But when we get to this point in the tribulation, that access has been shut down, and they no longer have access to heaven. So, When we come to Revelation 14, 6, we read, And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters. And another angel A second one followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your inspired scriptures. Thank you for this book of Revelation. We thank you for the people who've come out tonight to partake of it. We pray you would bless this time. Use this passage to minister to us in the way the Spirit of God intends it to be applied in each of us, and we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. There's a phrase that's used in the world of bars and taverns that's familiar to many people. The phrase is called the last call. Probably many here heard that phrase last night. That's a joke. I didn't really mean that, but I thought it would be humorous. It's hard to determine where that phrase first started. It's been said that it came out of Chicago back in the 1940s. What the phrase actually means is you only have a few more minutes to order and finish your final drink, and then you have to leave because it's time to clean up. For most states, last call time is 2 a.m. For Chicago, it's 4 a.m. For Alaska, it's 5 a.m., Well, when you come to this part of the book of Revelation, there's a last call in the tribulation. The time when it shows up is right here in Revelation 14. It's the last call that comes out of heaven via angels. And what this last call basically says is you only have a few more minutes until God is going to send you to everlasting fire. 
It is a last call that says God is about to shut down the world. God is about to pour out the finale of his wrath. And people just have a few more minutes to change their minds concerning Jesus Christ. Now, most people have no idea as to how powerful God actually is. He literally could use his power to do whatever he wants to do at any time. He used his power in creation when he spoke things into existence. He will use his power in judgment when he brings things to an end. God is a very patient God. As we prayed Wednesday night, we are so thankful that the attributes of God are always the same all the time. So even though he has a wrath side, he also has a merciful side. He's a patient, merciful God. He gives people ample opportunity to turn to him. He gives people ample opportunity to resolve things with his son, but there does come a moment when he says, okay, it's all over, it's too late. This certainly can happen to an individual, and it does happen to a nation. It can happen, and it will happen right here in the Great Tribulation. Now, the Great Tribulation is a demonstration of God's power and wrath when he says to the world, it's just too late. I've pulled my grace and mercy from you. It's too late. But before he does... Before he pours out his final wrath in the tribulation, he gives humanity one last opportunity. We could call it a last chance, a last call to turn to him. What we see when we go through this text of scripture tonight is God uses angels in heaven to offer people on earth in the great tribulation one last chance to change their minds and turn to him. Now he's going to have to use angels because people are on the run. The Antichrist is trying to kill them. And those who actually believe things, they're fleeing away. They're fleeing away from there. So if he's going to communicate this concept that you have one last opportunity, he's going to have to use angels because the humans aren't around to do it. And whenever God's judgment is actuated, angels become very active. For example, when God decided to pour out his judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and all the surrounding cities, he sent angels First, to get Lot and his family out of the area, that's Genesis 19. Now, a critical responsibility for the church in this age in which we live is the accurate communication and the rightly dividing of the word of God and the truth of God. It is our responsibility to be witnesses for the Lord. It's our job as a church to accurately communicate the word of God. Paul told Timothy, you study to rightly divide the scriptures, you feed the flock, very carefully handling the word of God, and you warn people. But during the tribulation, when Satan is confined to this world, and when the Antichrist is controlling the world, and the false prophet is there, he literally is going to use angels to communicate his truth. And they will literally appear in the sky. They will literally communicate truth. Since Satan and his angels are confined to this earth, there will not be anything they can do about it because they can't go into the heavenlies anymore. They can't stop them. There's no war they can carry on in heaven because they're confined to this earth. In Revelation 14, there are at least six angels that are paraded forward in this chapter. What we have here is tremendous angelic activity at this point. Dr. J. Vernon McGee said these angels denote another radical change in the protocol of God's communication with the earth. Satan and his demons are confined here. They cannot hinder this heavenly plan of God. They cannot stop these angels. And those people who say we are already in the millennium or we've already gone through this or we're in this, then you just show us anywhere where this has happened. 
just point to us at a point in history when we've looked in the sky and seen angels flying through the mid-heaven and communicating the truth of God. It's never happened. It hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen in the future. What we certainly see here is that God is not limited or hindered in any way from communicating his word to people. Even when Satan and his demons are dominating the world, he still can communicate his word to people. You have an evil humanity here. You have a depravity of man here. You have the work of Satan here. You have the work of demons here. They're actually confined to this world. The world is becoming the most evil place it could possibly be. We haven't even seen the level, the magnitude of evil the world will become. And yet, even with that, they cannot stop God from actually communicating his word and giving the world one last chance. What we actually have here are three angels in heaven who give three messages to those on earth. And as we understand this text, we would understand here that everybody on earth is going to hear this. I am convinced of that. Everyone on earth is going to be able to hear this. They'll be able to hear that no matter where they are geographically located and no matter what language they speak, they're going to be able to hear this, including Satan and his demons. There won't be a thing they can do to stop it. They're going to be just like everybody else, looking up in the sky, and they're going to be seeing these angels, the Antichrist, the false prophets, Satan, the demons, all humanity everywhere is going to look up in the sky, and they're going to see this. Now, we're going to look at three of the angelic messages tonight. First of all, angel number one is going to proclaim the eternal gospel to those on earth. As you'll see when we look at it tonight, this is not the same as the Pauline gospel of grace, although there's certainly a connection to it, but this really has an aspect of judgment to it because judgment's about to hit. I mean, judgment's about to come from God out of heaven to hit the world. So that gospel that's being propagated at this point is going to be that message. Then angel number two will predict the Babylon destruction that's about to come. And that is a critical part of the finale of the program of God. And then angel number three will announce the specific wrath to come on those who worship the beast. Now, the first angelic pronouncement is the pronouncement of the eternal gospel. Verse six says, and I saw another angel flying in midheaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters. I want to point out the conjunction that begins verse 6 in the verb, and I saw, and I saw. And then you'll notice in verse 8, and another angel. Verse 9, then another angel. Now, I point out the grammar of this because what you actually have here is near as I can determine, and I have tried to study how John actually uses these conjunctions and, and or then, as it's translated in some English translations. And as near as I can determine, when John uses this as the first word of the sentence, and he doesn't use it as the second word of the sentence, he is stressing sequence. In other words, what I understand these conjunctions to be communicating is there's an emphatic sequence that is taking place here. Now, that is so important because if people understood that, they wouldn't butcher the book of Revelation. You would say, well, this happens first, then this, then this, then this. I mean, you just go chronologically through it in the sequence that John is presenting it. The other thing I want to point out is John says, I saw this. I didn't dream this. I mean, I wasn't in bed one night and just came up with what I thought was a vision. 
I actually saw this. So those people who want to attack the book and say it shouldn't be taken literally, well, when they get before John in heaven, you go up and tell him, well, you didn't really see that. Because he wrote, I saw it. Now, there are three specific facts that we can observe from what John reveals here. Number one, this is another one of God's heavenly holy angels. I saw another angel. The pronoun another means another of the same kind. It's those same kind of godly angels that God has been using in the tribulation. The kind of beings that God uses to proclaim his truth are pure holy beings. These are holy angels. These are heavenly angels. And in that tribulation, after the rapture of the church, those angels play a critical role in everything that's going down on this earth. John said, I saw another one. The second fact that he reveals is this angel is flying in midheaven. Verse 6 says, and this angel was flying in midheaven. Now, we've seen this kind of thing before back in chapter 8, and what this communicates to us is that this angel is apparently very visible. He's not flying in our atmosphere. He's not flying at the throne of God. He's flying in the stellar heaven where the planets are located. You know, I heard one commentator say that people used to laugh at this. He used to say, you mean to tell me you believe that there's an angel that's going to fly through the stellar heaven where the planets in exist are? And he said, but they stop laughing when we put satellites there. In fact, many of you will turn on your TV and you'll be watching television that's being fed by a satellite that's right here in this heaven. It's in this area. And what John says is, I saw this angel flying in this mid-heaven area. He was very visible. Obviously, he's very audible. This angel is seen and heard by everyone. Everyone on earth, including Satan and his demons and the Antichrist and the false prophet, anybody that's here on earth is going to see this and hear this, and they cannot stop it. And Satan is in the business of trying to stop the plan of God, stop the program of God. He can't do a thing about this. God's taken this completely out of his hands. He's confined him to earth, and he has his angel flying around in midheaven. Thirdly, the angel's going to preach the eternal gospel. Verse 6, And I saw this angel flying in midheaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who has made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of water. I want you to notice this angel is going to preach the eternal gospel, and I want you to notice how God decides to influence the world when it is the most satanic world that has ever been in existence through preaching. Through preaching. What we actually have on the earth at this point is the worst of demonism. You have Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet that are confined to this earth. You have all the demons that are confined to this earth. And how does God decide I'm going to reach the world? Preaching. Preaching. That's what I'm going to do. The mission that this angel has will be to fly in midheaven and preach the eternal gospel to all those who live on the earth. And I want you to notice it is brought out that all people who live on the earth are going to hear this. 
It's stated there in verse 6. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, all people are going to hear this. This angel will be visible, and this angel will be audible, and all people of the earth will be able to look into the sky, see this angel, hear this angel as he presents this gospel. And that's what people need in this wicked world. They need to hear the gospel of God. Now, during the church age, angels do not have the privilege nor the responsibility to preach the gospel. The responsibility falls to believers and it falls to the church. And we have a responsibility to preach a gospel that is the gospel of the grace of God, but also in preaching the gospel of the grace of God, as you'll certainly see tonight, we have a responsibility to also communicate if you don't respond to the grace of God, there's another side to the coin. If you don't respond to the grace of God, there's the coming judgment of God. And during the tribulation, the church will be gone. Very few believers will even be surviving at this point because there was a great martyrdom that took place in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. So right now, as we're in this part of the tribulation, you have Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet on a vendetta against Israel, and you have people running from him, and you have very few believers that are even going to survive this thing, and most who will believe in Christ after rapture will be martyred. So God is going to have to use angels to communicate his gospel well, that's exactly what he's going to do. And this event here was predicted by the Lord when he said just prior to his glorious return, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world for a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. And what we have here is basically God's last call. It's his last preached invitation to those who are left on this earth to respond to the gospel. And this angel will be able to accomplish something supernaturally in a very short amount of time, something the church certainly couldn't do in 2,000 years. They will take the gospel to every person in the world. It is brought out in verse 6. This will be preached to every person who lives on the earth, to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people. Every person will get an opportunity to look in the sky, see this angel, and hear this angel preach the gospel. Now, the word gospel means good news, but in all reality, the gospel is only good news for the one who believes, as you'll see in just a moment. It's bad news if you don't believe. In fact, if one does not believe, then this gospel that's going to be proclaimed by this particular angel is going to be real, real, real bad news. And I want you to notice from verse 6, the gospel is called the eternal gospel. And that adjective eternal qualifies the noun gospel. It stresses the fact this is the age-old, without end, without beginning truth. And the particular truth here is that all evil is about to be crushed by the judgment of God. That's good news, great news for the people of God. See, the people of God who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ can't wait for that to happen. They can't wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back. As we even prayed tonight, as John prayed, we can't wait for God to catch us up in the air and rapture us. And then we certainly are looking forward to the time when he comes back to this earth and he stamps out all evil. That's part of the gospel. It's part of the gospel being left out in this love culture that we live. God loves you just the way you are. We don't want to make you feel bad by anything we say. But that is part of the gospel. 
And there's no article before the noun gospel, which means this angel's proclaiming the character and quality of the eternal gospel. And one of the key parts of it is so often overlooked is coming wrath. I mean, the gospel's good news. The good news of the gospel says through Jesus Christ, you can escape the wrath of God. But the good news of the gospel also says this. If you don't come to faith in Jesus Christ, you need to understand wrath judgment is going to be yours. Dr. C.I. Schofield said there really are four kinds of gospel presented in the New Testament. We have the gospel of God. That's what we're seeing in the book of Romans. It's good news about God's grace, primarily proclaimed by Paul, that anyone who can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ can receive justification, receive the righteousness of God, and be given everlasting life to anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of God that Paul develops, but he did put in there the wrath. We saw how he started that. He starts off the gospel by saying, you're all sinners, you're all heading to the wrath of God, so it is part of the gospel. Then there's the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news that Israel one day is going to receive those wonderful promises that God has made to her. She will get a promised land. She will have a righteous king and a blessed kingdom. Then there is the eternal gospel. And the eternal gospel that's being proclaimed here is the good news that the wicked people are about to be judged and eliminated and condemned forever. You'll see that in just a minute. So part of the eternal gospel that's being presented by this angel at this point is that God is about to put an end to all this wicked stuff, and he's about to burn these people. And then there's what Paul would call a different gospel. And that would be for one who perverts the true gospel of God's grace and the gospel of God's grace and tries to mix works or law into grace. Paul says, that's another gospel. That's a different gospel. That's not the one that I preach. What's being proclaimed here is a message of pending judgment and the need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because he's about to return, he's about to judge, he's about to eliminate, he's about to condemn the wicked. And in view of this, they need to believe on the Lord and fear God and give glory to God and worship God. And one day, those are the only kind of people that will be on this earth. In fact, after this judgment, that is the only kind of person that will be on this earth. They will be people who fear the Lord. They will be people who give glory to God, and they will be people who worship God. Well, this angel is flying in mid-heaven, and he's speaking to people, all nations, all places where people are. He's speaking to them in their own language. He's communicating to them this final invitation to get right with God. And there's not a thing that Satan and his demons can do to stop it. Now that brings us to the second angelic pronouncement that comes next. And that's the pronouncement of Babylon destruction. Verse 8. And another angel, a second one followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Now another angel is going to follow in close proximity to this first angel. And this angel will be announcing the fall and destruction of Babylon. And will specifically point out that Babylon is the place that's been known for its immorality. And immorality is going to dominate, dominate this world in the tribulation. As we pointed out last week, I mean... God will honor people who just wear clothes in the tribulation. That's how evil it's going to get. And you can expect, as we see things moving toward the rapture of the church, more and more of this immoral stuff is going to surface and be flaunted. It won't just surface, it'll be flaunted. 
Now, in the Bible, Babylon is never viewed as being in a right relationship with God. It's compared to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it is a city that has intoxicated many people. It's the root cause of false religion. It's the root cause of immorality. It's the root cause of people moving away from a true relationship with God through idolatry and through immorality. In fact, Jeremiah says that very thing in Jeremiah 51. Dr. Thomas Constable said, when you think of the noun Babylon, think in terms of the noun Hollywood, because it represents a system that basically represents a real city that just is a pretty godless place. There are five, I have four in your notes, but there are five ways that Babylon is used in scripture. You're going to have to write the fifth one in, but you can do this, you're good students. I mean, the first way that Babylon is used, it's used in reference to a literal city. It's an evil city, but it's a literal city, city that's located not far from Baghdad, Iraq. Secondly, it's referred to as an apostate religion. It was referred to as an evil man-made religion that was actually started in Babylon, in which people literally began to try to think that they could somehow equal God, build a tower to God. Thirdly, it is used in reference to a godless political power, evil political power that dominates God's people. Fourthly, it was used in a reference to a godless source of idolatry and immorality, And fifthly, it was used in reference to a geographical place. Alexander Hislop said Babylon was the geographical place where idolatry began. Now, there are two specific facts that this angel communicates about Babylon at this point, and then God will go to great detail in chapters 17 and 18 to graphically describe this. But the first announcement that this angel will make is Babylon has fallen. And what I understand that to mean is that God is going to burn it down. That's what I understand that to mean. And the reason why I say that is if you look at verse 11, we read, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. Go over to chapter 17, if you would, and look at verse 16. Chapter 17 and verse 16, we read, And the ten horns which you saw, and the beast, these will hate the harlot, and make her desolate and naked, and will eat her flesh, and will burn her up with fire. I want you to go over to chapter 18. We're in the middle of a chapter here that deals with Babylon. In chapter 18 and verse 8, For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she'll be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong. And then if you drop down in the same chapter there to verse 18... If I can get that open here a second. Here we go. And they were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like the great city? It's obviously burning. They saw the smoke of her burning. So I understand when this angel announces in the sky that Babylon is fallen, this angel is basically saying, we are on the verge of God burning up Babylon like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. He literally is going to burn it up. Smoke, real fire, smoke, brimstone. Literally is going to burn it up. Now, the second fact that's brought out about it is Babylon has been influential. We read in verse 8, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. Now, 
What is stated here is that God has kept a record of what has come out of this part of the world. This part of the world today is Iraq. And this part of the world, as we will see in a couple of chapters, is going to become a critical player as the end of the tribulation nears. And what is stated in verse 8 is, at this point in the tribulation period, all nations of the world have been in contact with this Babylon, which I do think is literally Iraq. And this place is known for its immorality. It's known for its immorality. Now, if you look at Iraq tonight, there is an article I read called The World Bank in Iraq. And it's interesting because it claims that one of the things that's beginning to turn Iraq into a critical place again in which she has wealth is this oil thing that's going on. In other words, what is happening right now is oil is starting to turn the economy of Iraq around. And in this article called the World Bank of Iraq, it said that this is going to be something that's going to greatly influence the economy. What I expect is happening now with all of the stuff that's going on with us needing oil and our gas prices escalating is that it's going to turn the world to a focal point on Iraq, the Persian Gulf in that area. And oil is going to play a key part in this. Oil will play a key part that will actually make this a key player in the world. But what Babylon is known for according to God's assessment, is for making all nations of the world idolatrous and immoral. She has basically been responsible for people moving away from God and moving away from morality. He says it started here, and I've kept the records of this. So what's going to happen is Iraq is going to be rebuilt. Iraq is going to look as though it's really flourishing. I think Satan is actually going to eventually be headquartered right here in this spot in Iraq. And when it becomes an international power and presence, which it's destined to become, God says, at that point, I'm going to burn it down. I'm going to burn it down. Which brings us to the third pronouncement, the pronouncement of the beast worshiper's wrath. Verse 9 says, Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast at his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. During the tribulation, you cannot be neutral, especially when Satan and his demons are confined to this earth. You're either on God's side or Satan's side, and you will be aligned with one or the other. And if you worship the beast, and if you take the mark, you've crossed the line. The person who does that will have crossed the line that will mean their total eternal condemnation. If one is in the tribulation, it will be very tough to survive on this earth without that mark. If one does not have the mark 
the likelihood is they're going to be killed. But if you get the mark, it's far worse than being killed. If you take the mark of the beast, you actually face the eternal wrath of God. For one who takes the mark, it will guarantee they're condemned by the Lord. Now, when people on earth take the mark, they're probably going to think, it's just a mark. And I believe this whole business of tattoo escalation is playing right into this stuff. I mean, I think a lot of people say, this is no big deal. Everybody has a tattoo. So why not get it on our forehead or on our right hand? What's the big deal? I mean, everybody has a tattoo anyway. It's a death sentence. That's what it is. And that is precisely what this angel's announcing to the world. We may observe from verse 9 that it is another of the same kind of heavenly angel as the first two. So this angel is flying in the second heaven and announcing this to the world and is announcing if any person worships the beast and his image, if any person receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he's going to receive the full experience and the full brunt of the wrath of God. And according to verse 10, it's described. It will be a tormenting of fire and brimstones in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb forever and ever. Do you see that? We're talking about somebody burning forever and ever. That's what the word of God says, what John's writing here. This is going to be no place anybody wants to be. You know, a lot of people don't want to hear about hell. They don't want to hear about fire. They don't want to hear about brimstone. But I'm telling you what, it's in the Bible here. So what do you do with it when you go straight through these books? Just avoid it? To make people feel comfortable? The fact of the matter is, hell is just as much a real place as heaven. And hell is no picnic or party place. And once you get into this place, there are no second chances. There's no way you're getting out of this. And once a person is there, the text is very clear. They are there forever. There is no rest day and night. They are there forever, experiencing the wrath of God. There are no chances. There's no second chances. The only chance they have is while they're here, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're getting this last opportunity at this moment to do that, even in the finale of the tribulation. In verses 12 to 13, there will be those on this earth that are going to seek to do that. Notice verse 12, here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow after them. According to verses 12 to 13, there will be those on earth and they're going to seek to do that. They will seek to obey what this angel told them to do. Don't take that mark. Don't take that mark. Get out of Jerusalem. That Antichrist is there demanding to be worshipped. Get out of there. Flee that area. You do not want to reject Jesus Christ because Christ is going to come back. He's going to establish his kingdom. And if you don't do that, you're going to burn. You're going to burn. You're going to burn forever and ever. That's the message that he's communicating here. And again, a lot of this is aimed at Israel, but it also is aimed at all the saints that could be classified as that in verse 12 at this point in the tribulation period. So it would be anyone who's in the tribulation. In verse 13, we learn that many are going to die. I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. What is God telling the people of the tribulation? Well, most of you are going to die. 
Most of you that didn't take that mark, you're going to die, but you're blessed when you do that because that brings you into the presence of the Lord. And when you come into the presence of the Lord, you can rest from your labor, rest from the tribulation, rest from the trials, rest from the troubles, and your deeds will follow after you. Now, some people have said, well, you know, how in the world can heaven be heaven if there is smoke that is going up in the presence of God, uh, people that are burning day and night? Verse 11 says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. So how in the world could God's people be in heaven and see that smoke that's going up forever and ever and then realize, well, we have relatives who didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have children that didn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We had family members and friends, and they wouldn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So how in the world could we cope with the fact that here's that smoke that we're looking at that we know is coming from this hellish place where these people are burning forever and ever? The answer to that is at that point, we'll realize the justice of God. And we'll realize the grace of God. And we'll realize that God gave them ample opportunity to face their sin. He gave them this last call, even in the tribulation, to face their sin and come to faith in Jesus Christ. They wouldn't do it. And we'll realize they're getting what they deserve. They wouldn't accept the wonderful sacrifice that the lamb made. We saw the lamb introduced to us back in chapter 4 and and chapter 5 when the lamb that had been wounded for us for our redemption we'll realize that here's the Lord Jesus Christ who laid down his life for these people. They didn't want him, so they will burn forever and ever. But there is an interesting statement that is made at the end of verse 13. It says, for they can rest from their labors and their deeds follow with them. So for believers, for believers in Jesus Christ, when it comes time for us to say goodnight to this world and time for us to leave this world, we get to rest. Our work on this earth is done, but our deeds will follow with us. They won't condemn us, but they'll follow with us. What those works will say is we either earned rewards or we lost them. But once we do leave this earth and go into the presence of the Lord, it's all over. There's no more opportunity to do any more. There's no opportunity to learn anymore as far as what we can learn here. There's no opportunity to do anymore. Our labor is done. So whatever you think you need to do for the Lord, do it now. Do it now. Because once we leave this earth, we don't get another chance. Let's pray. If you've never believed in Jesus Christ, do it now. You never have to worry about facing the wrath of God if you have Christ in your life. He's the righteousness of God, and he'll be given to you if you invite him in. So do it now. Father, thank you for your word. Do your precious work in Jesus' name. Amen.